Beloved, I hope you were listening to the words of that song. I know it was coming from a man whose heart really loves the Lord. And just think about the words of that song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This is my story. I have no doubt, getting to know someone like Mr. Nick, that it is the story of his life and his heart. And I hope and pray it is the story for you as well. That you could stand here and sing from a heart that says, this is my story, this is my song. Jesus is my Savior all the day long. That you genuinely know Him. And so I appreciate Mr. Nick and the ministering to us through those words from a heart that loves the Lord. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to begin with me back in 1 Timothy chapter 3. What we have been thinking about, the kind of person that we are to be as followers of Christ. And I've used as an example the qualifications that have been given here for a pastor. But as we've gone through these, we have seen that many of these are not just for pastors, but they're for all Christians. And that will be the case this morning as well. As we're going to look here at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want us to look at verse 3, where he says that we are not to be addicted to wine, we're not to be pugnacious, but what we are to be is gentle and peaceable. And as we think about these qualities, character qualities in our life, that as believers we want to be known for being someone who is under control. We practice self-control. We know that self-control is fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God is controlling our life, when we are under the influence in the direction of the Spirit of God that God gives us, that is living inside of us, that one of the fruits of that will be self-control. And really, as we look at these character qualities that we are to have, they really involve self-control, not being addicted to wine, not being pugnacious, but being someone who is gentle and peaceable. This morning I want us to consider these. And really as we think about them, think about practicing self-control when it comes to our relationship in regards to alcohol and when it comes to our relationship in regards to anger. Often these two go hand in hand. That those that will drink can become very easily angered. Losing control of their emotions. Losing control of their thinking, their reasoning, and their understanding. I'm reminded of what it says over in Proverbs 20 and verse 1 where it says, Strong drink is a brawler. So we're going to consider these today. 
And as we do, I want you to take them into your own heart and your own life and let God's Word examine your own heart and character in regards to just self-control, in particularly in these areas. So let's start with this issue here of alcohol. He says there in verse 3, speaking to the church, and again, this would not just be for, for pastors. He, clearly, he wouldn't say, well, pastors are the only ones in the church that are not to be addicted to wine. But this is applying to all of us as believers. It's just saying this is what must be of the pastor. That he is not to be addicted to wine. Now let's just think about this subject of wine here, in particularly even in the New Testament. Now understand, beloved, that there was strong drink in new wine that could be made, that could be stronger in alcohol. But beloved, there was also alcoholic wine that was made in the days and time in which Paul is writing, even the days and time in which Jesus lived and walked on the earth, that was much different than the wine that is produced and made today that is consumed by so many in our culture. Wine oftentimes in that day in which Paul was writing was one part wine, seven parts water. Clearly much less in its strength. Not only that, beloved, Paul, if you look over in 1 Timothy 5, just move over to chapter 5 for a moment, and you're going to see that he actually tells Timothy, young Timothy, you actually need to drink a little wine. But there's a reason why that was. A reason why... It's not needed today. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, look over in verse 23. He says, No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Beloved, back then, the water was not as clean and as sanitized as it is for us today. And there were people, there were certain times and certain ways in drinking of the water at that time that a person could actually get sick. This is something Timothy was struggling with, and he was tr trying to use it for medicinal purposes here to sanitize things for Timothy and saying, look, Timothy, you're hurting yourself here. So he's saying, don't just drink water exclusively here. Clearly, when you go back and you read in the New Testament, you read of the church at Corinth, they were coming together to have a meal together. And as they did, they were supposed to be having the Lord's Supper together. But instead of doing that and doing it in the way they should have, Paul, the Apostle Paul, gets on to the people there at the church. And clearly what they were drinking there had to have some kind of alcoholic content to it because he speaks about them possibly getting drunk there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 21. What does the Bible say about this? Well, again, back in Proverbs 20 and verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker. In Proverbs 31, in verse 4, it says, It is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to desire strong drink. Now, why would that be? Why is it 
that the Bible would be telling us that wine is a mocker and it's not for kings to be drinking this. It's not for, for rulers to be desiring strong drink. It would be because of what we see over in the book of Hosea and Hosea chapter 4 and verse 11 where it says harlotry, wine, and new wine take away the understanding. It affects a person's judgment. This is why you could clearly see why Paul would say that someone that's going to be placed in the position of being a pastor and a leader in the church doesn't need to be influenced and affected by wine or any other kind of alcohol because it's going to affect their judgment, their ability to understand and control themselves as they should. We see a poor example of that in the Old Testament with the people of Israel back in Isaiah chapter 28 and verses 1 and then verses 7 and 8 where it spoke about the prophet and the priests of that day that were staggering around from the effects of alcohol. Thus that they were making such poor decisions in regards to the people that it was bringing trouble for the people under their care. Oh, beloved, what we need to be, instead of addicted to wine and looking to that, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, be under the control of the Holy Spirit. He says over in Colossians chapter 3 that the way that you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit is that the Word of God, the Word of Christ, is richly dwelling in your hearts. Look to God. Look to His Word. Look to have restraint here. Look to have self-control. And let me just remind you of this in regards to your purpose. Remember what God has said to the Apostle Paul. He said, whether you eat or whether you drink, that is, whatever it is that you drink, he says, you do it for the glory of God. That's your purpose. So the first thing you need to run through your mind as you're doing something like this is, is this for the glory of God? Am I thinking about the kingdom of God? Am I thinking about the glory of God? Am I thinking about the ways of God? Am I thinking about, I want my life to be honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, you need to think about the profitability of this, and that is the spiritual profitability of it. And I'm reminded again of what God's Word says to the Apostle Paul over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and in verse 12 there, where he says, I don't want to be mastered by anything. Even anything that I put into my body, anything that I put into my stomach, I do not want to be mastered by anything. And if it's not going to be profitable for me, I don't want to do it. I want to stay away from it. So first, you think about the purpose of the glory of God. Then you think about, is this profitable for me? And then thirdly, you need to think about, is this profitable for others? 
Look over in the book of Romans with me for just a moment. Go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Now here Paul is talking about food. What you could eat, what you shouldn't eat. These were things they were struggling with in the church there at Rome. And here's what he just ultimately says this. Verse 13. He says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. This is what you determine to do. Eating and drinking, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating, it's not drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Verse 21, it is, not, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Let that be a principle that governs your life in restraint in this area. That this, I want to make sure, if I'm doing something here in any of these areas, that I am thinking about others. I don't want to do anything that's going to cause someone else to stumble. I am determined, Paul says, I made a determination. I'm not going to do something that puts out an obstacle that could cause my brother or sister to fall and to stumble and to fall into sin. Thus he goes on to say, it's good then not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. And I hope that would be what would govern you in your life that would help you to practice the self-control of what God's Word is even speaking forth there in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 3. But notice what he goes on to say there back in 1 Timothy 3. Not just that we're not to be addicted to wine, but also we are not to be pugnacious. The word itself literally means not a giver of blows. That is, not to be a violent person. Now, most obviously, when we think about that, we think about something physical. Physical abuse. Or someone is, who is quick to want to settle things with their fists. Or even settle things with a, with a weapon. Now, don't misunderstand me here. When he speaks about not being pugnacious, not being one who is a giver of blows, 
God's word here through Paul is not teaching us that we don't have the right to defend ourselves either with our fist or with a weapon. You go back and even look at Jesus on one of the occasions when he sent out his disciples, he told them, take a sword with you when you go. What he's speaking about here is just someone who is characterized as just being a a, a violent person. That is, they're just a giver of blows. They, They look to want to settle things quickly, physically. They struggle with their anger in this way. He's saying that they are not, we are not to be pugnacious. But it's more than just what we do physically. We don't need to be pugnacious even verbally as well. Explosive, abusive with our words. Beloved, we know that God's word teaches us that our tongue is a weapon. It is an instrument that God desires for us to use for his honor and his glory. God desires for us to use our tongue to bring blessing to others. That we will give an account for every word that we speak. And let me just give you a, a wonderful guide Look over for just a moment. Go over to the book of Ephesians for just a moment. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. And pick it up in verse 29. Here's a commitment I hope that you will make. And if you make this commitment and can faithfully follow this commitment out, you will not be pugnacious when it comes to your words. Verse 29 of Ephesians 4 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But then it goes on to say, What should be proceeding out out of your mouth? But only. Make a commitment as best you can by God's grace to say, these are the only words that are going to proceed out of my mouth. Only such a word as is good for edification. There it is again. Just as I say, he's talking about the drinking of alcohol, the drinking of wine. Is this going to be edifying to others if I do this? Now we look at our words and making sure we're not pugnacious even in our words to say, I want words that come out of my mouth to be something that's going to be good for edification, something that's according to the need of the moment. Oh, beloved, if we could just learn that lesson to know, does what I'm about to say even need to be said? And if it needs to be said, it needs to be said because it's going to bring edification and good for the person who hears it. Verse 29, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And he goes on to say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, slander, let that be put away from you, along with all malice. 
And in its place, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Beloved, this is what God's Word calls on us to be and calls on us to do. It calls on us not to be pugnacious, even with our words. But this is why these go together, just the opposite of that. The opposite of being pugnacious is to be someone who is gentle and peaceable. You look back at 1 Timothy 3.3 and that's what he says. An overseer must not be addicted to wine. He must not be pugnacious. But he instead needs to be gentle and he needs to be peaceable. This idea of gentleness really hits so many areas of our lives as Christians. It really does. When you stop and you just walk through some scriptures and you'll see in various areas of our lives as Christians, we are called on to be gentle. In fact, if you will, if you're still there in 1 Timothy, look over in 1 Timothy chapter 6 for a moment. And you'll find something very interesting. It says there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. We are called on to pursue gentleness. And you know who we're supposed to have gentleness towards? Look over in Titus chapter 3 for a moment. In Titus chapter 3, it says this, beginning in verse 1, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. And this is talking to the whole church. So see, this is not just going to apply just to pastors. This applies to everyone. For us as followers of Christ, he says in verse 2, To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Philippians 4, 5. It says that this is what we are be, to be known for, a spirit of gentleness. In Colossians 3, 12, we are called on to put a heart of gentleness on. It is critical. It is critical that we have a heart of gentleness when it comes to our Interactions with one another as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church. Because over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 through 3, it says this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The only way, beloved, we can preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in a local body of believers is if we are walking in a way in which we're showing humility and gentleness towards one another. Gentleness is, again, a fruit of the Spirit. We're told that in Galatians chapter 5. When we have to actually go talk to someone about sin. 
and maybe a sin in their life that we see that they're caught up in. Listen to how we're supposed to do it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So even, beloved, when somebody has to be approached about sin in their life, you go to them in a spirit of gentleness. It's not a spirit of harshness. It is a spirit of love and humility and gentleness. In fact, I would say what's going to help us remain gentle with one another is if we are continuing to pursue humility in our life. And to know, as he even goes on to say there, he says, Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Showing humility. But gentleness is to be there. Oh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, it says there, if someone comes to you, and ask you about the hope that is within you, asking you to give the reason and give the basis of your salvation or what it is that drives you in your life, it says you are then to share with them and do it and give a defense of the gospel and of your hope and of the faith and of salvation, but you give it in gentleness. You do it with gentleness. Paul was urging the church at Corinth to step up, do what's right. He made reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 10.1, he's urging them, he says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And beloved, we see in, in Scripture that Jesus was gentle, we're told over in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 13, that he was gentle and humble in heart. In Matthew 21, he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey in gentleness. There was a gentleness about our Savior and beloved. He could be a gentleman and he could be meek and mild and gentle, but he was not a wimp by any stretch of the imagination. And if we're going to be gentle, then we'll be one who is peaceable. Again, this doesn't just apply for pastors, but this applies to all of us. Because again, over in Titus chapter 3 and verse 2, he says there to all Christians that we are to be peaceable. Be peacemakers, not troublemakers. I'm reminded of what Paul said to Timothy. Over in 2 Timothy, listen to this in chapter 2 and verse 24. He says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Must not be quarrelsome. If you have a man who's wanting to be a pastor, wanting to be a leader in the church, but he has a heart for arguing, he has a heart for fighting, he has a heart for quarreling, 
then beloved, that's going to be a pugnacious man. That's not going to be a man that is gentle and peaceable. And that's not going to be a man that he speaks about here in 2 Timothy 2, where the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. But instead, he says, be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, and with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. With gentleness, we approach those that may be in sin. With gentleness, we correct those that may be in opposition to the truth. With gentleness, we defend the gospel and faith. With gentleness, we live with one another. We pursue gentleness. We pursue being peaceable. Beloved, I know you know this. God hates it when his people fight and quarrel with one another. Because what has he said? He has said people will know that we are his by our love for one another. Just the opposite of that. So may I encourage you? May I plead with you this morning to pursue gentleness, pursue being peaceable, and don't, please don't understand, you notice there from the first Peter 3 to the second Timothy 2, being someone who's going to be gentle and peaceable with others doesn't mean you're going to be someone who's going to compromise. We're not talking about a false sense of humility, a false sense of unity, a false sense of being gentle. Jesus never compromised the truth. And Jesus spoke directly to people. And Jesus spoke with authority to people. Paul did the same. He's not saying that sometimes we have to address people and address people firmly. I have no doubt that's what Paul did with Peter that we see over in the book of Galatians when he says, I confronted Peter to his face because he was distorting the gospel. And I confronted him about that. But beloved, I want to encourage you to pursue gentleness. Look to your Savior. Look to His gentleness. And let God and His Word and His Spirit conform you more into the image of your Savior. But let me say this in closing. That first and foremost, when we're thinking about peace, and being peaceable. That you, first off, need peace with God. And the wonderful news of the Bible is God is a peacemaker. And He offers peace with Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is gentle, who is peaceable, and if you are spiritually and emotionally weary from your sins and, and over your sins, Jesus says, 
Come to me. Come to me. I will give you rest. I will give you rest from your heart. I will give you rest for your soul. I will give you rest that you're, you're struggling and you're needing peace. Jesus is the gentle, loving Savior. If you come to Him, if you will cry out to Him for mercy, He will hear you and He will show you mercy and He will forgive you of your sins and He will receive you to Himself. He has says, if you will come to Me, I will not cast you away. I won't throw you away. I'm not going to turn you away. I am peaceable. I am gentle. I am loving. He is just like as described in the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, the son, turns his back on his father. Treats him like dirt. Walks away from him. And when his son hit rock bottom, he came to his senses and he remembered his father. And you remember in the story, the the son is broken over his sin and he comes to the father and the father shows him mercy, shows him grace, showed him forgiveness, took the shame upon himself for his son. That's the picture of Jesus, beloved, that when you come to Christ, He welcomes you. He loves you. He wraps around you His grace and His mercy and He clothes you with His righteousness and He provides you everything that you need because, beloved, He knows there is not one thing a person can do that can earn the forgiveness or the acceptance or the righteousness of God. It's all through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And He gives that to you. If you will come. If you refuse to come, He will not give it to you. But if you come, He will receive you. And you will have peace with God. And once you have peace with God, then God will begin to work in your life so that you can be peaceable and gentle and becoming more like Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.